Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Flamingo Sundays. Um, this is a very, very hard man to get a hold of. I've been chasing him for many months now and he's very generously given up you know, 45 minutes of his time to come and inspire the audience. So it's a man that I come across on Facebook, really had no idea who he was, watched a video and, and we we're just talking before the show, I've watched it now probably 50 times and it gets more and more inspiring every single time I watch it. And I think it's going to be very, very beneficial to the people listening to hear his story. So, Michael Crossland, welcome to Flamingo Sundays. Mate, thanks for the introduction. I hope I can live up to the expectations. <laughs> yeah, mate, I, um, we were just talking about the fluoro suit. I reckon you'd look good in one of those fluoro flamingos. Mate, suits. I, I, I don't know, with my pastel pale white skin with freckles I, I don't know whether i could rock the fluoro orange suit but i'll i'll leave you rocking the orange suit and i'll just uh, i'll just wear the casuals i'll wear white so it makes my skin look darker <laughs> some people call it orange some people call it salmon i like to call it flingo pink so mate you've you've had a very very colorful life today you've had i would say some very very highs and some very very lows and you're still sitting here smiling and from the brief conversation we've had now, it seems like you're still a very positive and happy man, even though someone knocks on your door and it says, do not knock. I, uh, I, I certainly would agree with you. And I think that one thing that I've learned throughout my entire life is that uh, the adversity in our life doesn't define us, how we deal with it does. And right now, more than ever, we all have a story to tell. We all have pain and suffering, but it's not our pain and suffering that is so different. It's our solutions. And I think for me, from such a young age all the way through to now, it's been really focusing on that solution to the challenges. And I think, you know, from, from facing extreme darkness, I think we learn so much through those challenging times to embrace the coolness of the shadows so we can truly enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. Right. Uh, yeah, incredible. And I think um, for a lot of people, this what time we're in right now will be a massive shock and they're probably thinking it's the worst thing that could you know, ever personally happen to, to someone. But I think someone like yourself who's been through so much, this is probably a walk in the park. It's, uh, it's a different level of challenge, I think. And, I, and, I, and I, I really appreciate and understand that it's really important that we are all going through a really challenging time right now. And fear and uncertainty is, a, is certainly a crippling emotion for many of us. But I think that it's really about what are the tools, what are the, what are the techniques, what are the habits that we can get into every single day that will enable us to uh, grow through this as opposed to just go through this. And, and right now, more than ever, I think it's really important that we say, you know what, it's okay to feel down. It's okay to have a shitty moment. But, but it's about bouncing forward. It's about springboarding back and, and making sure that we learn from the challenges. And I'm sure we'll get into today the challenges that I've gone through, which have now equipped me with some of the tools that I use every day to get me up when the rest of the world, including the medical staff, try and tell me that I probably should stay down. Mate, well, let, let's dig into that now. Let's give people a, you know, a, a 30 second or a 10 minute, however long it takes you to overview on on. I guess the highs and the lows of your life and how you've actually come to be the person you are today and you're inspiring you know, 66 odd million people. I think one of your videos has got now, which is incredible. I, uh, I was a healthy, normal little, little baby boy born in beautiful Coffs Harbor and mum took me to the doctors one day with my sister because my sister had an ear infection and we had no idea that was the day that my world was going to change forever. You know, I, I went to the doctors because my sister had something wrong and 
five and a half years later, I finally got to go home. I went to give the doctor a hug because I'm much more of a hugger, not really a handshaker. And I was still stumbling around trying to learn how to walk. And my stomach brushed his knee as he was sitting in his chair. And he reached down and thought, that doesn't feel right. I was taken to Coffs Harbour Hospital. That night I was airlifted to Sydney Hospital. And the following morning I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage four. Uh, the doctor said there was no chance of survival to take your little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family. But like everybody listening, like everybody on this planet, we all have choices. And the choices that we make each and every day can help reshape, remold and redefine our future. And my mum asked one simple question. I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying. I just want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. The doctor said I had a 96% death rate. Go home. And I'm just so grateful every day that my mum chose to look at my life being not 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full. I started chemotherapy on my first birthday. Uh, they couldn't wait, not one day. And I think that, again, it's that mindset stuff that we spoke about before and we will continue to speak about throughout the rest of this uh, discussion. But I could complain that I was having chemotherapy on my first birthday or I could say this was the first day of the rest of my life. This was the first day that I started to beat this horrible, horrible disease. Um, my treatment was nine days on, three days off, nine days on, three days off. Back in those days, we didn't have the medicine that prevented us from vomiting. So we would just constantly vomit. Um, I was on that treatment for nearly two and a half years when a doctor came in and said to my mum, Kerry, we're sorry, the treatment's uh, built a resistance. Uh, the tumour has built a resistance to the treatment. It's taken over half of his son's body. We need to go into surgery. I went into surgery and six hours later, the doctors came out and they said to my mum, we're sorry we didn't get it all. There's now nothing we can do. My family were flown from Coffs Harbour down to Sydney to say goodbye. But the next day, as you know, there was an American doctor who was trialling a test drug. He was trialling it on 25 patients around the world. He had 24 candidates and he asked my family whether we wanted to be number 25. We obviously said yes, outside of love, we really believe that hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. I started the drug at 9am on Tuesday morning with 24 other families. Within one day, we were all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. The after effects of this drug were so bad that we were completely covered from head to toe in blisters. They would wrap us up in bandages and they would lie us in baths full of ice trying to prevent our brains from frying. Sadly, 24 out of 25 of us died from that drug. And I say to people around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones. And I never say I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still alive. I say I'm one of the lucky ones because I wasn't my mum. She had to inject a drug into a child that's killed every single person ever taken. She had to go to death counselling once a week for two hours to deal with what was going to happen to a little baby boy. I've recently realized, as I'm sure we will discuss today, that it is far easier to lie in the bed than stand next to it. She burned me for 18 months, hoping and praying that one day I was allowed to go home. And then the doctors took my mum outside the curtains. I don't know why they take people outside the curtains to give people bad news. Like the curtains, the curtains aren't soundproof, right? We can hear everything they're saying. And they told my mum that um, they had no idea how or why, but she could take a little boy home. But 
I would never go to school. I would never play sport. I'd be a housebound baby. And if I reached my teenage years, it'd be a miracle. My mum come through the curtains and I made out that I didn't hear what the doctor said. And I said, what did the doctor say? And she said to me with a smile, son, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. She believed in me. And I think that so often in this world, we search for somebody to believe in us. But I really believe that as long as that person that looks back at us in the mirror when we brush our teeth, as long as that person believes in us, then we can achieve some remarkable things. I was told I'd never go to school. I went to school. I graduated high school. I got a full ride scholarship to play baseball in America. I got told that I would never play sport. I represented my country at the age of 14. Um, I was told that I wouldn't make my teenage years and that almost was true. At the age of 12, I suffered my first major heart attack. And again, I was told that I would never play sport again. And again, my mum told me that everything was gonna be okay. And they also told me that I'd be a housebound baby. And last year in 2019, I was on 185 flights. I spoke in 22 countries around the world. I had a chance to share the stage with the likes of the Dalai Lama and Sir Richard Branson. And I realized that if we believe in ourselves and we dream big enough, it's remarkable what we can achieve. I've had a lot of health challenges since then, which I'm sure we'll speak about, but I had another heart attack when I was 18. Uh, 10 years ago, I had bacterial meningitis. I got fluid on the brain and I had Bell's palsy down the right-hand side of my body. I had to learn to walk again and talk again. That was the lowest point in my life. And in 2016, unfortunately, they found four more tumors in my throat and they told me that I wouldn't make Christmas. And I remember for the first time in my life, I finally had a chance to give a little love back to my mum because... After I did a video message saying goodbye to my family and preparing for my own funeral, my mum called and she said, what did the doctor say? And I finally got a chance to return the favour. And I told her that everything was going to be okay. So it's been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing ride. There's been lots of highs and lows. I've had an amazing corporate career, had 600 staff at the age of 23. But uh, I realise now that life is about leaving the world a better place than what we found it. And it's about how big our heart is, not about how big our house is that truly determines one's success. Mate, it's, I think for everyone is to listen and just let that sink in. Like it's, people usually get bad news once in their life, potentially twice. And I've actually had another guest on here um, in recent episodes, Tom Panos. I'm not sure if you know him, but he... Tommy and I know each other very well. Yeah, so... You know, his story was, was, was very similar and it's just so inspiring to think that you can literally get knocked down and told you are going to die multiple, multiple times and then have an attitude like this and, and be so grateful and, 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 and not let anything you know, affect you. Like it's just, it, it honestly looks like it doesn't affect you. It's like it's, you use it as strength to, to help other people when most people I think would use them as a, as a bit of a victim mentality. Yeah, I think there's only two types of people, right? There are those that use their pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the justification behind why they choose to fail. And it's really about the choice that we make, which determines which path we choose to take. As, as a, a five-year-old boy or a four-year-old boy, I'm not sure how old you were when you were actually left the hospital for the first time, but 
I mean, you're obviously quite young and then probably can't come to grips with what, what death really is at that age. But uh, do you remember, you know, like what, what, what it was like to know that potentially you may not live? Or did it I, real? I clearly remember that, um, I clearly remember being burnt horrifically. I remember lying in bars full of ice because that was obviously not fun. And I remember vomiting and vomiting and vomiting. But I can't remember the fear of dying. I can't remember the uncertainty of tomorrow. And I think that it's because mum instilled that inner belief and faith within me that truly everything was going to be okay. She carried so much pain and so many burdens so deeply within her heart to enable me to feel as though truly everything was going to be okay. And I think that that to me just embodies what courage and strength and resilience and what a true hero looks like. Without a doubt. And I guess now it must feel pretty amazing to, to have a child of your own. Yeah, that was... And you can be that hero, right? Yeah, that was the, that's the hardest pain I've ever felt in my life, right? I, for those that don't know, I was told we'd never be able to have kids. In 2010, when I got sick again, I walked away from the corporate world and my wife and I decided to really channel our energy into giving back to the world. And I, I really love the saying, we must give without remembering and receive without forgetting. And, and that's when we decided to open a school in Haiti after the earthquake hit, we realized that education is the key to transformation. Uh, so we have 270 kids that go to our school and then we walk past this orphanage and it just absolutely crushed us you know I met a little boy and he was telling me the best part about living in the orphanage was that he gets a bowl of rice every second day because after the earthquake hit and it killed his mum dad and both his brothers he lived on the streets and the only food he would get would be out of garbage bins and he said the worst part is really of a night time because that's when it took his mum and dad and both his brothers they were a part of the 316,000 people that died from the earthquake and he said, and where I sleep, I get soaking wet of a nighttime because the tarp leaks over my head. He said, but it doesn't really matter whether it rains or not. I still get soaking wet because I share a bed with two little boys and both of them still pee their pants. But, but he's super grateful every day because he got out of bed this morning and he, he gets to have a bowl of rice every second day. And, you know, I've got my nephew not wanting to go to school because it's raining and he has to walk 25 steps to get the school bus, you know, just the mindset shift. You know, I went over there because I wanted to do something for somebody who would never return the favor yet. They gave me more than I could ever give them. They taught me more than I could ever teach them. And that was what I thought was going to be the closest I got to being a parent, having 40 beautiful kids that I now get to look after 365 days a year with all of them having a roof over their head, getting an education, um, you know, having a dream, having a goal, getting three meals a day. I thought that was going to be the extent of my fatherhood and what a true blessing that is, you know. But uh, in 2017, after many years of IVF, we, we announced to the world that we we're going to have a little baby and uh, he was due to arrive the end of February 2018. He arrived on the 12th of December 2017. He was 10 weeks premature. He weighed two pounds. He was a uh, he was a very very sick little boy, and uh, they told us that he probably wouldn't make the end of the week. And you know, I I've learned in my life that the quality of one's life is not dictated 
nor is it determined by the amount of days that we live on this earth. It's about what we fit into those days that truly allows us to lead a remarkable life. And he taught me so much in his first few days and few weeks and few months on this earth. And I still remember the day we thought we were in the clear and we got sent back to our local hospital in Coffs Harbour after a month in ICU and we thought everything was going to be amazing. And then, and then uh, we get called in and they put me in a room and tell me that our little boy had contracted an illness called sepsis, a blood disease. This was on the Tuesday and they said if you made Friday, it would just be an absolute miracle. And I had to watch a man resuscitate my little boy and I remember so clearly, like praying, yelling, screaming, crying, whatever you want to call it. But I remember saying, you know, take, take my house, take my car, take everything that I own, but please don't take my little boy. But why is it in life that we wait until we lose someone that we love before we tell them that we love them? We wait until we're locked down before we appreciate our freedom. I think that we learn so much in the light so that we can use that in the darkness. But I think a life with gratitude will empower us to be able to lead a fulfilled life and we won't wait until it's too late before we decide to change. We won't wait until we start to appreciate the little things that we, we so desperately need and so desperately forget about until they're taken away from us. So for me now, you know, to reflect back on, on being a dad and being a parent and then thinking about the pain and the suffering that my family would have felt watching me go through all that is just is heartbreaking. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I realized for the first time that it's so much easier lying in the bed and standing next to it. And I think more than ever now, we just need to be so grateful for the little things, the air that we breathe, the roof that's over our head, the food that's in our tummy, the fact that, you know, we can, we can still be here with an opportunity to make the world a better place. And I think now is a really powerful moment in mankind to actually reset and reprioritize and begin to appreciate the little things that we so often have taken for granted for so long. Well, mate, the, the story got me, the tears started coming. Um, I don't know what to say. How, I think, for you, you I think it would be easier for you now to, 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 I think, on a daily basis, have that gratitude, right? You've been through so much, so nothing that is, is not of some huge level would bother you, right? Everything would seem so small. For someone who hasn't been through all of that, and and I don't think many people in their life will ever go through that, but how can people wake up every day and then not let the little things and the shit that we really shouldn't let bother us, but we do bother them? It's a really great question, and, and I wish I had the answer to it because seriously, I watch things on TV right now very rarely do I even consume TV anymore because it's just so negative. And I just, I'm only a little guy, so I can't be going up and shaking people. But I, like people are building cop, 
police officers because they don't want to wear a mask. Like seriously, the, you know, and Tommy said it beautifully and I wrote it the other day as well. I'd prefer stage four lockdown than stage four terminal cancer. Wake that. up, right? Wake up. And, you know, I guess the best way I try and think about it is firstly, we need to really focus on the fact that we should not wait until it's too late before we decide to change, you know, and, and the analogies that I like to use is we wait, uh, we, we wait until we're diagnosed with lung cancer before we stop smoking. We wait until we're diagnosed with diabetes before we change our habits and our diets. And we wait until we lose someone that we love before we tell them that we love them. And what's crazy in the world nowadays is, you know, I'll text a friend and say, hey, I care about you, I love you, thanks for being a great friend. And I know exactly what they're going to write back. They're going to write two words and a question mark. They're going to write back, what's wrong? <laughs> they will dead set, seriously, they will dead set think that I'm dying, that I've lost my job, that I'm drunk. Like, we, we don't tell people what they mean to us until it's too late. And I think now is such a powerful time in our lives for us to just think, wake up to ourselves and, and begin to see see the joy that's all around us and begin to appreciate the things that we've taken for granted for so long. And, you know, I wish I had the, the magic formula, the magic tool, the magic drug that would just have people realize. But sometimes we just need to turn the TV on. We need to do some research. We need to walk through the ICU ward or, or the oncology ward and see, you know, I had to do a make a wish. Well, I shouldn't say I had to do a make a wish. I was very blessed to do a make a wish for a little boy last year who wanted to meet me. Amazing. He was dying of cancer and it was heartbreaking, but beautiful all at the same time. And I woke up this morning and, you know, I'm, I try and be Mr. Positive, but I have pretty crappy shit days as well where I don't want to get out of bed and I think that life's not fair and I want to go out and I want to talk to people and I can't because my immune system's so low that I'm stuck inside. Yet, I jump online and, and see that they live in Melbourne and he can't have his treatment there because of everything's going on and they're about to trial a new experimental drug that they can't do in Australia. So he's about to get on a plane, five-year-old boy going to leave his dad and his two sisters to fly on a plane with his mum to America to start this trial drug and hope to God that he doesn't catch COVID because he'll die from it. But there's either stay in Melbourne and die or fly to America and give this trial drug a crack, but be that far away from his dad and his two sisters. Like, and we are, we are frustrated and angry and think the world's not fair because we're stuck inside for six weeks. I agree. I've been stuck inside for 16 weeks. I know that it sucks. I haven't been to a shop. I haven't hugged a friend. You know, I, I want to be outside enjoying the things that we've all taken for granted for so long as well. But, Now's the time. Now's the time to begin to reflect, begin to appreciate and start to make change within our mindset, our subconscious mind to empower us to be better people. Yeah. The, the thing you, you said just before around it takes um, a, a dramatic situation for someone to change. You know, like you said, it takes someone to get lung cancer before they stop smoking you know, diabetes before they change their diet. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it takes something dramatic for someone to go, oh, fuck, I might, I might change this now because I now cherish my life because it's flashing before my eyes? It's almost like love, right? We, we wait until we lose someone that we love or, or, we, or we break up with somebody and then realise what we had. And, you know, I think for me it's been one of the greatest gifts of my life that I've been sick a majority of my life. 
because I've never complained because of traffic. <laughs> I've never complained because it's raining, because it's cold, because it's snowing, because it's hot. I just, I just don't. I've got to say, I've complained regularly about Qantas being late all the time. I've got to tell you that I've complained about that many yeah. times. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's a chemical imbalance in people's lives that forget to live a life with gratitude. And, you know, I know that we're going to get into my daily routine and all that sort of stuff. But I think that when we set up our day and, you know, just a little saying that I try and preach a lot is we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. You know, we have 80 odd thousand thoughts every single day and 70% of them are negative. That's 56,000 thoughts every day that are negative. So if there is a way that we can correct slightly or shift that percentage, maybe if we can reduce the amount of thoughts and reduce the negativity, then how is that going to transform in being more optimistic and more resilient and more courageous and more determined and more passionate about achieving something in life massively? Yeah. So it's just about really trying to shift some things that many people aren't aware of that exist within our own mindsets to to better ourselves. And I think the things that we fill our own mind with that we subconsciously don't even realise, like watching the news, for example, you know, you might think you pay attention to the, the stories that said and the things that you watch, but subconsciously you are taking notice of that, right? Yeah, I, I heard a really amazing uh, analogy or formula the other day that if you say something negative, it registers 40 times more powerfully than if you say something positive. So if you were to say one negative thing, you need to say the positive thing that counter-correct it 40 times just to get it equal to what the negativity registered in your subconscious mind. And that in itself, you know, there's a guy on the baseball head, but there was a guy from Boston Red Sox, played first base. He had an interview um, before the World Series many years ago. And he says, you know, I'm having two dreams. The first dream is we win the World Series. Amazing. The second dream is that I boot a ball in the bottom of the ninth inning straight through my legs and we lose the World Series against the New York Mets. Fast forward nine days. We're in the ninth inning. Boston Red Sox are up. Routine ground ball to him at first base. He's thinking 40 times more negatively around that analogy of booting the ball. Bam straight through his legs, he boots the ball, New York Mets score two runs and they win the World Series. And it's just, I know that's a, a sporting analogy, but it's an analogy that enables people to understand, holy crap, this mind is so powerful. You know, when people say to me, how's your day been? I can say that it's been a bad day, it's a tough day, it's a challenging day, or I can say that it's been a character building day. And by me shifting my words and saying character building as opposed to bad, all of a sudden it registers differently in a subconscious level and it allows me to sort of bounce forward with a bit more of a spring in my step. So it's amazing when we understand this, how much more productive and how much more positive we can be through these very challenging times. And do you think that's a contributor to the success you've had in everything you've put your mind to? I mean, you know, they said you'd never play sport. You'd never do anything like that. You, you know, represented your country in, in America then, you know, when you started your career, you were the youngest ever manager at ANZ. Like, do you think that the, the, the things you'd have been through have then um, complemented your success because you think, well, what, what's the worst case scenario? Let's just think thinking positive. I, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Yeah, I, I think, uh, quick correction, uh, it's, it was Westpac and General Electric, not ANZ, but I better say that just in case someone goes, hang on a minute, I've never seen him at ANZ. But I, I really believe firmly, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that everybody's heard it, is that we learn far more from a loss than we ever do from a win. 
And because I've had a lot of losses emotionally, metaphorically, um, I think that I've learnt a lot from that and that's equipped me to strive. And, you know, there's a there's that saying, no one's ever going to tell you what you can do, they'll only ever tell you what you can't do, but it's your choice whether you choose to listen to that. And I think that that's really, really powerful. And, you know, I, I just really believe that it's important that you believe in yourself. And some people say to me, you know, you, you, you've led such a successful life, you've hit the pinnacle of your career, where to now? And I, I, I'm just... I, I'm, I'm not that guy. I, I'm just a very humble Aussie runabout bloke that's faced my fair share of challenges and now very privileged to, to share it with the world. And, and I mean that with so much humility and, and gratitude because, you know, I'm, I'm not about the glitz and the glamour. I'm not about the fancy cars, the fancy houses. You know, that, that doesn't define me. What defines me is the way I can leave the world a better place and the lives that I can positively impact whilst I'm still here. So I think that it's because of the challenges that have led me to my wins that have enabled me to shift my mindset to empower me to get through those challenges. And as I said earlier, you know, we, we really need to learn in the light what we desperately, desperately need to call upon in the dark. And I think that that's, that's some of the most important things that I've had is when things are going well, things are cruising along, we still need to be investing ourselves. We still need to be growing ourselves and, and learning so that when we do get into a dark or challenging place, we can recall on all that stuff that we've been taught and that we've learned and that we've invested in ourselves so that we can bounce through those, those challenges. Right. Um, just touching on, you, like, you, you are an Aussie knockabout bloke, but when you were with Westpac, if I recall correctly, did you go through a stage where you had the fast cars, you had the watches, the suits, and, and the big house? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> I must be very honest. I was very driven by the three Ps that I think destroy people. I was driven by power, privileges, and possessions. Now I'm very focused on patience, persistence, and perspective, the other three Ps. But absolutely, I was like, and I'm open to sharing, you know, I, I had the $100,000 sports car and I had the Rolexes and the Armani suits and all those things that really I thought defined my success. I had to create the perception of what I thought success was. And what was crazy about that is the more I chased the materialistic wealth, the further it led me away from being successful which in my mind is being happy and it took me to hit rock bottom in 2008 2009 2010 that uh, really made me wake up to myself I remember driving to work in George Street in the city with my fancy car and had the roof the sunroof open and the windows down the music blaring and I drove past these two backpackers they had their life possessions on their back and and uh, I remember him looking at me and I thought to myself, they're probably looking at me going, wow, he is successful. But now I reflect back on that time and they're probably going to be going, wow, he is a wanker because <laughs> that's exactly what I was. And I must say there's, there's nothing wrong with living in a beautiful home and there's nothing wrong with driving a beautiful car and there's nothing wrong with wearing beautiful clothes and jewellery. But if they are the materialistic possessions that define who you are, then you will grow alone and lonely in a fancy materialistic life. But if you can create happiness and joy in your life that results in you being able to live in a nice home that, that has a nice car parked in the garage, 
that allows you to wear nice warm clothes. You know, I think your value doesn't decrease based on one's inability to see your worth, yet we work so hard to try and redefine our value by proving to other people that we're worth more than what we really are. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially in Sydney's eastern suburbs, it's it's <laughs> a um it's a very, very common thing, right? It's it's what have you got and what have I got and how can I be better than you and bigger house, faster cars, faster life and all the rest of it. Um, and like you just said, I think from the external, you know, if someone looking in, you're like, look at this guy, you know, cars and watches and houses and he's the top of the, the top of the, uh, the ladder in terms of success. But reality deep down, they're, they're generally very soulless, very insecure people that are trying to fill those voids with materialistic possessions. <laughs> Hundred percent, mate. And a very good friend of mine. I love him dearly. He's he's worth upwards of fifty million dollars, and he has everything you can imagine. Every toy, everything you can imagine. Great health, good-looking guy. But there's no way in the world I would trade him because I understand what his life really is from the inside out. Yeah, I understand the pain and the uncertainty and the loneliness and the lost approach to life and that you know i i would i would so much prefer to be broke and in love with my family and in love with my friends than be rich and completely alone yeah okay i love that and i i I think it's very hard for people to to see that especially people who haven't got money and haven't got things and they're like well that's going to make me happy and it's funny because people say to me, it's easy for you to say because you got money. How do you know I got money? You know, people think that I got money because I look after 40 kids at an orphanage and 270 kids at school. I sacrifice so that I can make sure that I can serve. You know, my previous book was a bestseller in six countries around the world. We literally donated 100% of every cent we earned from that book to charity, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know what? My wife and I, Oh, we don't. We have home brand butter in the fridge. Like we, we don't need hey, to be beyond our means. Brand too. Nothing wrong with home brand. <laughs> oh, there you go. I, I shouldn't be knocking anybody, but <clears throat> you know that's 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 real. You know we, <clears throat> we sacrifice our quality of life so that we can serve others because we know that it feels far greater to give than to receive. And I think that that's really an important message for people that. They want to create wealth and, you know, it's, it's funny. Someone said to me, oh, when I get rich, I'm going to start to give to people. Like, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see most mornings I put up a little video. <clears throat> i got an old guy next door, 84 years old. Bob, his name is, lovely old guy. And uh, my, my son loves him. But he's in a walking stick. Like, he, he struggles to get out of bed. He struggles to walk around. And every morning when I come back from my run, I notice that the, the, the paper guy, he throws it onto his lawn and then I see him and he walks forever to go out to get the paper and then walks forever to go back in. So every morning now I just pick it up and I throw it on the front doorstep every day. He's got no idea that I'm doing that and it costs me absolutely nothing, but it's just making a little positive impact. You know, so often we only give to, to get, we only make an impact because we want to see a return on our investment. But when we start to give purely out of the nature of our heart because we want to make the world a better place, then that's when we start to focus on the impact as opposed to the return. So something I just got from that is you find the ROI on, let's just say that the book made you a couple hundred thousand dollars. Most people would say, let's use that couple hundred thousand dollars to go and buy a car and let's get some happiness out of that. But 
and and for most people you think it'd be beneficial to say instead of getting something for yourself how about you go and give that money help someone else and that the, the roi in terms of happiness will be tenfold yeah the return on investment for bringing joy into your life is far greater than bringing materialistic possessions into your life and again <clears throat> you know and I, I i i'm not saying that you don't need to buy a new car or, or, or have fancy clothes. That, that's your call. That's on you. And I'm, I'm not telling you how to live your life, not telling you how to suck eggs, but I'm just saying that when, you know, <clears throat> perfect analogy is I used to pay for people's fuel every, every now and then when I go and get petrol, I'd pay for my fuel and I'd pay for somebody else's fuel. And I'd never pay for the diesel Bowser because that was always too much money. You know, we have a guy that pays 180 bucks, fills his, fills his two tanks up. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is an expensive little gift. Always just pay, pay for a little bit of fuel for somebody. And, and what I used to do is I used to get in the car and I'd wait for you to go inside to pay for the fuel. And then the person behind the counter would, would say, oh, that guy over there has paid for your fuel. And then they'd look at me and go, oh, thank you so much for paying for my fuel. And then I'd drive off. And then I realized the only reason why I was paying for their fuel is because I wanted to be thanked. Now I pay for people's fuel and I drive off and it, it makes me feel even better. Not because I'm being thanked, but because I know that I've made an impact. And, you know, pessimistic people go, yeah, but what about if the guy goes in to pay for his $30 worth of fuel and then the person behind the counter just pockets it and then he pays the $30? I'm like, well, the person behind the counter needed $30 more than I did. But what about if the person goes in and uh, goes to pay for fuel and realizes that I've paid for it and then he goes and gets that 30 bucks and he goes and puts in a poker machine? I hope he wins. You know what I mean? Just We're just doing it because it makes us feel good to do it. We're doing it because it's about serving mankind and, and making other people have joy we release endorphins into our body when we do something good for somebody else and that helps us with our chemical rebalance and enables us to be more optimistic and resilient looking at our own challenges which i think is a really important point about why we should give yeah especially now in times <laughs> like this right let's just say because the majority of the people in this are millennials right and they're, they're probably at the start of their journey whether it be their you know, life or whether it be their business or whatever it is. Um, and there's so many conflicting stories out there and conflicting ways you should live your life and what you should chase. From everything that you've been through, if you could give five tips or five, I guess, nuggets of gold to say, if I was 22 again and I was a normal 22-year-old, I had no issues with my life, this is how I would live my life to live a better life. Mm -hmm. What would they be? I, I would probably say... Uh, the, the first three would be your routine. So the first thing would be activation. Make sure you exercise every single day, some sort of activity, because, again, the chemicals that get released into your body are amazing and we desperately need it. I would definitely do that. The second thing is we need to understand the power of meditation and the impact that that can have. Because I thought for a long time meditation was for people that grew really long beards, that wore <laughs> cotton, that burn incense, that wore no shoes. Like that's who I thought with people that meditated. Now I understand, like I'm working with some of these guys earning upwards of $40 million a year and they all meditate. I'm working with some of the best pro athletes on the planet. They all meditate. They understand that to perform at their optimal level, they must meditate. And by meditating, that clears our mind, that reduces the amount of thoughts that we have and enables us to have really clear thinking. <clears throat> I, I think that science says that if we have one hour of meditation, it equals to more than four hours of solid retinal rest, solid sleep, which I think is amazing. But then I realized that when I'm meditating, I can eliminate the thoughts that I have to, to the point of all I'm doing is breathing. 
when I'm sleeping, I'm dreaming, I'm thinking constantly. So meditation is massive for me. Uh, the third point is appreciation. So activation, meditation, appreciation. Appreciation has been an absolute game changer for me. Every morning I write down the three things that I'm grateful for. It allows me to set my day up with optimism. And for accountability, I text a buddy of mine and he texts me the three things that he's grateful for because that helps a lot. And then I write it down before I go to bed at night time. That's been a big thing for me as well because it sets my sleep up with optimism as well. So there's the three. The fourth thing I would probably say is to ensure that you have no technology one hour before you go to bed. Uh, it, are, it allows your brain to slow down. It allows you to think clearer and it allows you to get a proper night's sleep, which can really, really get you going. Um, so that, and then, you know, the fifth one, I don't swear, but what I know you do is uh, at 22, I would make sure that anything like food or drink, anything that enters my body, I need to know whether it fuels me or it Fs me. You know, if I was to drive a Lamborghini, I'm not going to put the cheap fuel in. I'm going to put the good fuel in. And I think that that's really an important understanding. Like the car is replaceable, but we are not. You know, we've got one shot on this earth. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is your one shot you got. So I think that the food that we intake, is it going to make us better? Is it going to make us stronger? Or is it going to make us weaker? Is it going to make us grow? Or is it going to really destroy us? And then also the liquid that we consume. You know, I'm 36 years old. I've had, I've had one glass of alcohol in my entire life. And that made me very, very unwell because my liver and kidneys don't work properly. And that's a whole nother time slot. But when we choose to just put the things that are going to fuel us and empower us to lead a better life, that's when I think we start to get on course. So it's activation, meditation, appreciation, minimize any technology an hour before bed, and is it going to fuel me or F me, the, uh, the food and drink that we take in? If I knew those things when I was 22, I probably wouldn't have as many wrinkles as I do now. Uh, and I, I, would be, I would definitely be healthier um, mentally than what I am now too. Like I, I'm in a really great place, which is, which is wonderful. I've, I've had many dark days. I've, I've had that depression. I've had the fog. I've had the... The days where I don't want to get out of bed, there's days that I want to keep living. You know, I've, I've been in those dark places back in 2009, 2010, and even 2017 when my little boy was sick. You know, there was some really, really dark, challenging days. But to be able to implement those things on a day-to-day -day basis, and as you all know, I'm sure, 21 days in a row, your actions now become a habit. So you don't even need to think about it. You know, like you never thought, what do I need to put on my to-do list today? I need to put on my to-do list to brush my teeth. Like we know that we need to do that because that's how we've been doing it every day for more than 21 days. So it's a habit. And when we get into that routine, it's just amazing. We start to fire on all cylinders and we start to have a new level of normal, which is just amazing. Yeah. We're um, myself and, and Sam who works with me at the moment are, we're taking your notice and, and watching what we put in our body. So it doesn't F us or fuck us as I would say. Um, <laughs> So we're doing a hundred days sober and, and just, I think I'm just over two weeks in now and it's, um, it's incredible that like the, the way you think and the, the way you act and the, the, the thoughts you have are completely different. You, you think you feel amazing when you, you know, maybe happy to have one beer in a night and then go to sleep, but you really are, are still affected by that. And then, you know, now you don't have it for two or three weeks and you're a completely different person. 
yeah, new level of normal. That's that's how I try and describe it. You know, for for a, a, such a huge part of your life, you felt a certain way, and you thought this is as good as it gets. And then all of a sudden, you you know, I had to cut back on gluten. Something so simple. Cut back on gluten. Started meditating. Started exercising. Started living my life with gratitude. Going to bed on time every time, the same time, not having technology. And now I've got a new level of normal, which is incredible. And then I go, you know what? I'm going to have a cheat night. So I go and smash a pizza. And then the next day I'm like, oh, this is terrible. How do I feel like this? And then I realized this was how I felt for the last 35 years. Like, oh my God, I, I, I didn't realize that I felt so good because I've made a few very minor changes that have enabled me to lead a better life and have a new level of normal, which is, which is amazing. Just touching on the meditation, and that's something that I've wanted to do, but I, I've never done. I do a lot of yoga and stuff. What, what's like your, your daily meditation? How long do you do it for? And, and what's the, the sort of practice you do? So there's so many different ones and, you know, I, I'm not a meditation guru, but I know what works for me. I've, I've got a um, meditation link. So if any of your guys that are listening want it, uh, just send me a message and I'll send you the link. It, that easy. I've just recorded it. It's like goes for 16 minutes and it's all just about breathing, um, counting your breathing. There's pranayama practice. There's reddick practice. Uh, but for me, it's just, it's just, expanding and then contracting. So I'm like four in, hold for two, four out. Then I increase that to six, three, six, three, and then up to uh, eight, four, eight, four, or whatever it is. And, and then bring it all the way back down until I'm, I'm feeling like I'm nearly unconscious. It's just really a restful place and it's not hard. That's why it works. You know, it's not scientific. It's just something that's really comfortable really natural and there are some days that i that i meditate for five minutes just to slow things down and the way i try and think of it and i'm just <clears throat> very mindful of time so i don't want anybody to switch off or tune out because we are uh, we're getting close to that time i know but like if you were to turn your phone off of a night time and then turn it back on of a morning it hasn't recharged right it's just exactly the same yeah and in my opinion, that's what we do at night time. We go to bed and we fall asleep and then we wake up in the morning and we haven't really recharged. We've just existed. We're just going through the motions. For me, meditation is like recharging. And I know that's hard because a lot of people say like meditation is switching off, but it's actually like recharging me. It, it gives me greater clarity. It gives me greater peace. It clears my mindset. It enables me to think clearer and act more effectively and more efficiently. So it's just remarkable what it does by simply slowing down our breathing and focusing on nothing but our breathing. It's just, it's a really great place. And I think it's really important that we, we give it a crack. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And when we try and do it and it works, it's, it's an amazing shift. Well, you've, you've won me. I'm going to start as of tomorrow. I'll I need send to, you the link. I need to get that link off you. Yeah. Easy, okay. Buddy. Obviously you're like being conscious of the time. I know you've got a very busy schedule. One thing I like to, to, to ask the guests, I usually let the guests ask me a question and I answer the question. So, so something that you think would be beneficial to the listeners um, or, or something that you want to know about myself, is there anything, um, anything on the top of your mind that you could ask? Why did you want to interview me? Very good question. Um, I think the thing, like I said, is I seen your video on Goalcast and I was just like so inspired by it. Like I teared up in the middle of this and it's just... The thing that I love about you and the thing that the reason I wanted to interview is because you you lived a real life, you know, like you've been through real shit, not you, you speak from so much experience. And, and I think that not only would I get being a little bit selfish, would I get a lot from it. Um, 
I think there's, there's so many people out there who maybe haven't seen the Goldcast who will listen to this and, and just you probably change their life and the, the mindset that they have, even if it's just one person. So, um, yeah, I think that's Thank why. You, mate. Just super inspiring. Like it's just everything you've said is just so real, and that's what I love about it. You're not you're not talking from inexperience. You're talking from 100% experience. Thanks, mate. All this stuff that I'm sharing is not from a textbook. It's not from a psychological or or, or degree. It's just it's just life. It's, it's what I've learned to try and keep me alive and. I hope that it's inspired one person to look at their life a little differently and pay it forward and make a positive impact on something else. Inspired my team, mate. We're all sitting in a circle around the computer now listening. So, mate, I, I, I thank you very, very much for your time. I, I, I respect your time and um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get a lot out of this. So, thank you. My pleasure. Just so you know as well, uh, as you've uh, touched on today. Yes. yes. Um, book. The my new book. book. My new book came out this week. It actually... It actually is not available in store until the 1st of September, but um, it's online right now. You can grab it from my website. I've got a big fireside chat on Sunday night, um, giving away all my audio books and my books. Uh, so if you want to be a part of it, I would just absolutely love to have you guys involved. Um, I think it's like $69 or 70 bucks or something, and that gives you a one-hour chat with me with live Q&A. Plus, you get a copy of my signed book and all three of my audio books around the power of the mind, the three steps to personal transformation and all around mental strength. Uh, there's workbooks that go all along with it. And um, I think now more than ever, if we can sort of serve and give and, and make a positive impact and try and shift some mindsets, then what a, uh, what a blessing that is. Definitely, mate. I will, uh, I'll be joining along with the team um, and I'll put the link in the description as well and share it when I share it on my socials. Legend. Legend. Great, uh, great to have a chat and uh, hopefully I've been able to make an impact, mate. Mate, definitely. I really, really appreciate it. Take care. My pleasure. See you.